today's guest is a survivor of both childhood sexual abuse and sexual abuse as an adult at the hands of a mental health professional. She's a passionate Christ follower and expert on the healing God provides. Her devotions have been published in The Secret Place, a memoir, Prayed Upon, won the inspired Christian writers' great opening contest for nonfiction. Welcome to the show, Amy. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm so excited to be in Germany. <laughs> yes, it's, it's so great to have you in Germany also virtually. I'm so, yeah. <laughs> I'm so delighted and, great, and grateful that you, you know, made this time out to share your story with me, to you know, share with the world what you've gone through, what you've experienced, and also impact them in one way or the other so that they could believe that they are not alone in whatever situation they are in. That's a wonderful thing. I really admire your strength, your courage, like I said before we started recording, you know, to, be, to go through all of this and to come out, you know, better, to come out stronger and be able to even have the, the courage to share with the world without, you know, overcoming, as in, with just without, you know, holding it back to yourself or without being, being shameful about what you've gone through, basically. Thank you so much for that. That's so awesome. Thank you. I'll, I'll be so you know glad and grateful if you would love to share your story of how you went from being a victim of two sexual abuses to becoming a striving or a thriving child of God. Yes, I had a lot of sexual abuse as a child, actually, um, starting at age three, and then it just kept repeating. Like age twelve, it was a priest, and then a swim coach, then a doctor. Um, Anyway, on and on. It was like I had a target on my back. And I think it was a result of, you know, the low self-esteem that comes from when you're taken advantage of at a young age. Mm. So here I was, um, a grown adult. I think I was around 40, 41, and it was 2013. And I decided that I would try counseling again. Um, I had become a strong Christian. And so when this therapist was recommended to me I was really excited because I found out he was an elder at the new church I was attending mm. and he was a psychiatrist so he was also a medical doctor and he came highly recommended so mm. I started seeing him and really I was just wanting to work on the depression that I felt like had followed me around my entire life and um, stemming from past abuse and from low self-esteem and mm. issues you know surrounding parenting and my marriage and things like that. Hmm. So I started seeing him and, you know, he was kind of a quirky, goofy, grandfatherly type figure. And so I felt very, you know, safe. And um, he always opened up our sessions in prayer. And so I thought that was really cool. And I didn't know a lot about the Bible and he was like, not a scholar, but he knew a lot more than me. So I was really excited to have this like Christian, you know, leader, um, guiding me along this process. And he took a very different approach to therapy and depression. He kept it more in the spiritual realm, mm -hmm. meaning like he told me that I needed to look for different, it's hard to explain, but different traumas in my life. We needed to go back to those places, go back to that age mm -hmm. and pray away any evil that he said might be there. In other words, um, my depression, he said, was a result of having evil spirits in me. And I know that's very weird. And I also thought it was a little odd. But growing up, I hear, heard a lot about that. I heard a lot about evil spirits. And, yeah. um, you know, being a new Christian and not knowing a lot about the Bible, I was open to it. I've tried everything else and nothing else has worked. 
um, I cannot seem to ever shake this depression, so let's give it a shot. And so we started, and, and it, at first it seemed like the therapy was helping me. I think just having somewhere to go each week and have someone, you know, listen to me and, um, and support me and want to help me was what benefited me at first. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was actually just a pawn in his game. I didn't realize that I was being groomed. I thought that applied to children, mm-hmm. but you know, I never thought of an adult being groomed, you know? Yeah. And, um, and with adults, you know, the grooming process looks a little different. He, you know, of course was doing all the things that we hear about, like making me feel special and, you know, making me feel cared about, but then also really playing on my empathy by sharing a lot about his personal life so that I became kind of attached to him and almost felt a little responsible for him so that, you know, down the road when he did something that maybe was a little shocking to me, I felt you know, kind of too sorry for him mm-hmm. to say anything yes. or, um, and anyway, so it was about six or seven months into therapy when he offered to rub my shoulders or my feet for a Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I freaked out. I mean, I just froze, mm-hmm. you know, and I wish that I could announce that I said no, you know, but it's like, it's so weird to me how childhood abuse sets us up to not be able to say no mm-hmm. to, especially to somebody in a position of authority and somebody who's a Christian leader and somebody who's a doctor. So I felt like, you know, I had to pick one mm-hmm. and I think I picked shoulders and then I, that was uncomfortable. So I switched to feet and I just forced myself to sit through it. And then, you know, as sexual abuse victims often do, we rationalize it, we make excuses for it, we minimize it. I figured, oh, you know, Amy, you're just too sensitive. You're, it's not a big deal. I mean, he's rubbing your feet like he's like a father figure. Mm -hmm. You know him really well now. You guys are close. He's more like, you know, a father-daughter than a Mm -hmm. therapist client, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but you kind of enjoy that you're a little bit special. And that that's something he would never do with a regular client, you know, because it's when you start therapy and you're so vulnerable and so open that, you know, you you just kind of hope that they at least like you. You kind of hope your therapist isn't just seeing it as a job. So any little sign they give you that shows, oh, you're you're more than just a client feels really good. And Mm -hmm. um, the process continued that way when you know, he would back off when he thought he startled me and then he'd add something else and he'd wait till I adjusted to it. And every time there was something like that, that was shocking. I thought that my reaction was about something wrong with me. Like Mm -hmm. you are way too sensitive. Like what is actually the problem? Like, you know, or, you know, he wouldn't be offering this if it was weird. I mean, he, he's clearly offering it for therapeutic reasons. And the fact that you're so uncomfortable with having your feet touched means you need to work through that or you, you know what I mean? Or or whatever the thing was that he Mm. would present with me. And, you know, another way, these predators are master manipulators and they would make everything, every move that they were making, they would kind of make it feel like maybe it was our idea. Mm. Like I mentioned 
imagining myself dancing with Jesus, like a father daughter wedding dance and how that was therapeutic for me. Well, then he went, then he offered to dance with me and I panicked, but I thought, Amy, he's offering it because you brought up, you know, you brought up that idea. Yeah. And so then I would think, so just, and again, just do it. This is so awkward. And so fast forward, it was, I was seeing him for about a year and a month when I realized I'm in deep trouble Um, At first, I thought he was just luring me into an emotional affair, which I wanted nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was like a father, so that was creepy. I had no idea that we were working towards sexual abuse. um, Mm -hmm. That wasn't even on my radar. And so I finally got up the courage to tell a close friend. Um, She was the pastor's wife at the same church, and she knew this doctor well. She'd recommended him to me in the past. And I told her how he had assaulted me and she took his side. And I was devastated because I had told her lots of things leading up to that too. Just little red flags I'd noticed that I weren't, that I wasn't sure about. And so then I retreated, you know, inward. And then I felt like I had nobody because I felt like, you know, I wanted to tell my husband, but I felt like if I tell him what happened to me, then he's going to question, well, well, why was it sitting next to you? Like, I felt like I was telling on myself, mm-hmm. like I was the loser that, you know, allowed A, B, and C to happen. And therefore he took advantage of me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Yes, I do. If I hadn't been so needy, if I hadn't have wanted a dad, if I hadn't have liked, you know, the, the comfort of him sitting next to me, mm-hmm. then, then he wouldn't have taken advantage of me. So yeah it was very scary to tell. And so when I reached out to my friend and she didn't believe me, I thought nobody's going to believe me because, you know, I'm an adult. And, um, so I stayed longer, it got worse. And I finally was able to get out. And I told, I went back to my same friend, but then I told her husband, the pastor, Mm. and they were able to help me leave. From what you share right now, I, I have this feeling that at, at that moment or at that point in your story, um, you, you had a feeling that someone was trying to show you love and trying to, you know, be there for you at your vulnerable state. But it felt so awkward. But and you, it, it, um, for you, it was, it was going to be wrong not to accept that love that he was trying to reach out to you with. Uh, but that was not actually love. That was, you know, him trying to groom you, like you said, towards something. And he used, you know, Jesus and God. He said he was trying to love me for Jesus. Well, he wasn't inappropriate with me at that time. Mm. So I thought that God was blessing me and allowing me to have a safe, nurturing father figure, something that I hadn't known before. And I felt like, you know, so he sits next to me. um, So he gives me longer sessions. So he gives me a hug when I leave. I mean, there wasn't anything that I, I didn't know there was anything inappropriate happening. Mm. And, you know, so he used that and he played on my vulnerability of kind of being a naive new Christian and was excited, you know, that God was working in my life. And I thought I was thanking God for this, like it was a blessing that he was giving me. And that's why you wrote your book that, you know, at that point in your story, you could not see a pattern emerging, like, you know, it's reoccurring again, like it happened in the past. So for people out there who are going through something similar, how would you advise them to avoid such a situation? What are the things to look out for in order to break free from therapist um, abuse? Yeah, and it's hard because some things are gray areas. Mm. Um, Like, you know, it's okay for your therapist to care about you. It's, It's okay for them to maybe, you know, 
give you more time during your session for one particular week because you're having a hard week, but there's certain things they wouldn't do. And those things would be um, like I had two hour sessions eventually that even later morphed into three hours. Mm-hmm. That is highly unethical. An ethical therapist wouldn't do that. Um, they wouldn't pick you out and make you feel more special than all their other clients. I mean, it's okay if they say a kind word to you and they're trying to build a relationship with you, but you know, I had special candy that was just for me. I had a special blanket that was just for me. They wouldn't do those things. I mean, Mm. they would show care and concern to you, but not, you know, elevate you to a level of daughter or, um, you know, or their favorite client. Um, they wouldn't have contact with you outside of sessions. Mm. My therapist at first didn't, but then towards the very end, he started calling me from his cell phone. Um, you know, that should not ever happen unless, unless there's like a crisis or an emergency Mm. or something that you reach out to your therapist and they call you back or something. Um, another thing, if you notice that you're starting to isolate that, because a, a predator will try to isolate you in subtle ways, you know, like maybe putting down your spouse or steering you clear of certain friends because mm. they want to keep you, they want to get you in a smaller and smaller bubble so they can control you. Yeah. And my, my world started to get smaller and I started to only trust my world. You know, I had outside friendships and I stopped communicating with them because I thought, well, they just wouldn't understand. They wouldn't understand the weird therapy and they just wouldn't get it. And they would, they would maybe think something was wrong, but they don't, they wouldn't understand because there's nothing wrong. He's not doing anything wrong. So, you know, you start to have those gut feelings that maybe something isn't right. So you just start not telling as many people things like, you know, I didn't even want to tell people at first that my sessions were two hours because I was embarrassed, Mm. you know? And so when you start keeping more secrets, you know, that's a red flag. When your world gets smaller, it's a red flag. Um, Because there at the end, I trusted just the therapist because my world had gotten so small, I had stopped sharing with other people what was going on. Um, There should not be physical contact. Some therapists will give a hug at the end, you know, some will shake hands and some will not do anything, but certainly no other kind of physical touch. They should not be sitting next to you. They should not be sitting close to you. Um, You know, they shouldn't be, you know, offering to cover you up with a blanket or even offering you a tissue. You can get that out of the tissue box yourself. Like they should be training you to become more independent so you can leave therapy, not treating you like a child and coddling you and nurturing you so that you stay there forever. Mm. And so that you stay thinking they're, you know, they shouldn't be your savior and it's okay. In therapy, you get attached to your therapist. And I don't know if you've ever been in therapy, but it's okay that we feel like maybe they are our savior. You know, they're going to heal us and save us. And they're an angel and they're sent from God or whatever. Just they're so wonderful. That's fine. That's natural to happen in therapy, Mm -hmm. but they should be trained to not allow you to stay there. 
if that makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. Yes. They should, um, like you said, I will use the word again, groom you to grow out of therapy or if, if that's possible. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah. Well, yeah, they shouldn't be fostering dependence. They mm. shouldn't be making you feel more childlike and feel more attached to them. They should be helping you work through those issues so that yeah. then you can, you know, leave therapy and have healthy relationships. Yes. I hear of a lot of therapist abuse from other victims that isn't sexual like mine, but the therapist crosses all those boundaries, loves on them like they're a child, you know, calls them, you know, sweet, endearing names and rubs their hair and holds their hand and lets them email them and call them and text them outside of sessions. And, and the poor patient becomes so incredibly attached and dependent. And then the therapist takes it all away or, or leaves or anything. And then they're just crushed and they don't know how to function. That is extremely like fostering dependence. That is also extremely cruel to do to another human. And I'm so glad that you were able to break free from that abuse, like break free from that kind of therapist. Um, so how is it like for you right now? You know, I've experienced several sexual abuse, even from the hands of, you know, someone that's supposed to have been trusted. Um, how, how is it journey like for you? Are you still are you still able to, you know, visit other therapists? Are you able to trust other people? Are you able to feel free to speak with your friends and family that thought you were lying when you shared with them in the past? Yeah, um, a lot of friendships fell away just because they didn't know how to maybe talk to me about it in a way that was, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand they, that it wasn't an affair, that it wasn't something I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been hard, but, and it was very hard on my husband and my marriage at first, but he quickly came around and, and knew that that would never be something I would do, that, that that wasn't something that I was looking for a father figure. Yes, but I was not looking for anything else. And yeah. um, so, you know, we're close now and I can talk to him freely about it. I, did have to seek out another therapist after this because the trauma was just so huge that friends and family don't know what to do with that. Mm. Um, and it, and it was helpful. And I have, that was years ago. And then I have found one more recently that's helped me a lot. So it was really just a decision that I had to trust again, that I wanted to trust again because I didn't want to stay alone and isolated because I've lived a lot of my life that way, not trusting and alone and, you know, trying to handle everything on my own and that didn't work out so well. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I don't want to go back to that. So I have chosen to trust therapists. Am I more leery now? Yes, but, yeah. but that's okay. And I am struggling mostly to trust, um, church and pastors and Christians, and I'm not really sure why. Mm. Um, I guess I'm, I'm most shaken. Yeah. Like I know, like, like this abuser was a sociopath. And so I was able to move on from that because I don't care about him at all. He's nothing to me. He's just this evil predator that I encountered, but I felt so hurt by the church. And those were people I was close to and friends with. And Mm. it's harder for me to, to heal, I guess, in that area. How do you separate, you know, all of these people and the church um, from God himself? Like, you know, your book, you wrote, you wrote that you wrote love letters from God to yourself, basically. And, um, you know, at that point in your life, you, you thought that his professions of, of love does not apply to you. Well, how are you able to like, go from that point to this point where you believe that, yes, you're a child of God and he loves you so much for who you are, for what you've experienced? 
Yeah, that was huge because um, God used this abuse to kind of heal me from all the past abuse. Mm. Um, it was a slow process. I I started out just needing to know I wasn't alone because I thought I was the only one on the in the universe that had ever been manipulated as an adult, mm-hmm. um, especially sexually abused as an adult. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So I found other women that were professional, educated, great women that had also been manipulated as adults by therapists or clergy. And just knowing I wasn't alone was part of it. I really just needed to process what happened and I just needed time and to piece piece it all together that I had been groomed. Um, Taking action was part of healing and getting my self-esteem back. So going to the medical board and then I filed a civil suit that gave part, gave some of my strength back. But the real, true, deep healing came with kind of looking at all those hateful things I was believing about myself that I didn't even know I was believing about myself. But I saw myself believing them while I was being abused and while I was making excuses for this. I'm like, why am I making excuses for this man? Like, Mm. why and why do I keep going back? Like, what am I thinking that's allowing me to do that? And so really uncovering, I call them rules, but kind of uncovering those negative tapes that we don't always realize we're even playing in our head was Mm. part of it. And then, as you said, I wrote love letters to myself from God through in poetry. Um, Just, you know, kind of throwing everything at him about what I felt about myself. I mean, look what I did. Look what a bad person I am. Look what a loser I am. Look and letting him speak back to me the the way that I knew that he would, Mm. because the Bible tells us how he feels about us. So it's, and I know God doesn't lie. And so I know that's truth. So I just kept speaking that truth back to myself over and over and over. And eventually I started to feel a shift um, and and that self-hatred started to lessen. I also had to work on forgiveness. I had to forgive my abuser because initially that was taking all of my energy and I didn't want him to take any more energy from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a process in itself. And I had to forgive, you know, the church and those around me that had hurt me. And I did that because... I wanted all of my healing. I wanted all of my own energy back. I wanted everything. I wanted it just to be God and I. And so I didn't, I couldn't have that anger, you know, and bitterness and and even self-hatred coming in between us. Mm -hmm. So it was really that writing to myself and you don't have to write, you know, you can even imagine what God would say back. Um, But just, bombarding myself with those kind of scriptures about how God really feels about us was what eventually was able to restore me back to the person that that he made and that I was and that I, person I don't think I ever even knew. And for anyone who's, who's interested, I'm going to place the link to your website in the channel of this episode. On your website, you have the poetry and you have the photography that you also use. Like you have a lot of pictures with Bible scriptures that talk about love, conversation with the Father, and it really helps um, you know, um, to to heal and to overcome any situation or circumstances in life, I believe. Yes. Yeah, that was another way I, I healed is that I started to see God in nature where where nature didn't wasn't really that exciting to me before. <laughs> but when I when my relationship with God became personal, then I started to see God in nature. And I'm a photographer, hobbyist. And so I just started taking my camera and going out in nature is another way that I spend time with God. And so so yeah, that's what you're referring to with the I like to put scriptures with them. 
Yes, that's it's so beautiful. Thanks for, for yeah. sharing that with the world. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And also, your book is a is a is a wonderful work of art. Like, I I love the fact that you know you 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 know you are. I won't say I would say vulnerable. I don't know if vulnerable is the right word, but you 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 know you are open. You explain the story and you talk about your experience in the book. And um, I was reading a little bit of of the book and you wrote about you know people that you know experience or people that were victims or are victims of um, sexual abuse always feel worthless. They always feel like there's something wrong with them. They always feel damaged or unqualified for love. So from your experience, how would you advise these people that are still, you know, feeling so worthless and so um, unqualified for love? How can they start feeling worthy, loved and enough? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like we already talked about, the scriptures and, and reading that and who God says they are. But I really think God uses mm. community and other people mm. to heal us and build us up. So I don't really think that we can successfully do life alone. So, you know, even though it's hard to trust and especially we already feel like something's wrong with us, I think finding some sort of community, um, like I, I found a lot of healing with celebrate recovery, which is a 12 step group, a Christian 12 step group. And, mm you know, you don't have to have an addiction, you know, to, to attend that, but somewhere where you can be. And, you know, for some people, they find that in church and for some people, church is much too scary and that, and they've been hurt, but yeah. find a sort a support group so that people can kind of lift you up and walk with you through this time, because it's not like a quick, you know, process. And those people are out there and, you know, I have some in my world and I'm always looking, you know, I feel like as we grow, God puts different people in our lives. Yes. And I, and I feel like I'm right now kind of looking for that new tribe, not that I'm losing old members, but I mean, looking for what I need now to help mm -hmm. me grow. And so, um, and really just recognizing what you're telling yourself, because I think a lot of times we have no idea what we're thinking. We just know we keep returning to abusive people. We, we keep having friends that treat us poorly, or we keep finding relationships where we are treated. And it's like, you know, talking with a therapist or someone you trust about what's going on, because we are telling ourselves that's what we deserve. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it in our behavior. That's kind of what happened to me as I saw my behavior and I'm like, what is how am I allowing this? And so I think doing that kind of soul searching really helps and trying to get to those because those are the underlying messages. Those are the things that are key mm. to getting rid of that feeling of unworthiness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's tough because for me, faith was such a big part of that. Um, for me, God was the, you know, sole source of really healing that you know, getting down to the root of who I am. Yes. Um, but, and it's okay if you have issues with God and your faith is shaken, you know, just start slow, mm. you know, and just give them a chance. Yeah. Just tell them, you know, you can, you can tell God, I know now you can tell God whatever you're, you, you know, you're thinking. And I don't even think this is going to work because I told God, I'll forgive my, I'll, I'll say that I forgive my abuser, but I don't. And you're going to know it and you're going to know I'm lying. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. You know, you just yeah. have to start really brutally honest with God because I mean, and I'm such an honest person. I can't pray something I don't mean. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, I mean, I, I want it. So just start with saying, you know, like, how do I start? 
you know, what do you, what, what do you want me to do? What can I do? Um, I don't believe that I'm deserving of love. I read your words, but they don't mean anything to me. Mm. You know, you can talk to God that way and just, just pray, you know, you know, to please penetrate that self-hatred barrier and let me really feel that. And, yeah. and he will do that. And he'll, he'll meet you in ways that are unique to you or special to you. Like for me, it was, you know, showing me hearts in nature and I photograph them and I see them everywhere. Mm. Um, and he'll do that for you in a way that is meaningful to you if you let him. Have you heard about Newsly? It's an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment. It reads this article to you in a natural human voice. You can follow any topic as specific as you like it, from sport to entertainment to science to Bitcoin. It will find the latest articles and read them to you. And they also have podcasts. Our podcast, Mirror Talk, is there as well. You can also explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. Use our promo code M1RRORTALK to receive a one-month free premium subscription. Link and promo code are available in the show notes of this episode. Yes, that's true. I can totally relate with that also. Like, there are times in life where maybe I'm going through something that I don't feel comfortable to talk about with any other person. I just talk about it with God and, you know, just put my frustration and my heart to him, basically. And sometimes you just from maybe taking a walk on the street or in nature or just from tiny whispers, you get that comforting word out, you know, answer. And like you said, like you said, you know, building a community, having that support system, basically, even if you don't trust in God, having a support system, like having faith in God helps us. And, and if you're at home by yourself, he can't use people. Exactly. Um, they probably won't knock on your door, which is I'm an introvert. So I wish people would just come knock on my door. <laughs> I have to put myself out there yeah. and allow God to bless me in different ways. But do, do you believe that the community that we are supposed to build are supposed to be people who have, you know, gone through similar things like we have so that they could relate with our stories? Or could it just be people that are just, you know, random people or, you know, people that we could trust, basically? You know, that's a good point. And I, I hope the people who have had sexual abuse hear this because I am convinced that pain is pain mm. and that betrayal is betrayal and that all of us as humans can relate to the, those emotions. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the source of it. So if you feel like, oh, it's sexual abuse and sexual is so it's uncomfortable and feels mm. icky and it's embarrassing, mm. but there's so many people that can relate to the emotions that mm. you're feeling that have had different issues. And I, I was able to go to this really cool training uh, years ago. And we were all supposed to think of like the worst negative tape that we play in our head. And so we all did. And we were from ages 18 to 60s and men and women, all different backgrounds from all over. And they told us to pick the worst one and they gave us the microphone and it went around the room. And I think there's probably 50 of us. We, I swear to you, we almost all said the exact same thing. Wow. And it was so shocking and eye-opening to me that we are all walking around essentially feeling the same way. It's just a different version. 
different life events have caused it, but it was all something like something is wrong with me or I'm defective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more we open up with other people and the more vulnerable we are, the more risk we take, the more we realize how, that, how many similarities that we all have yeah. and that we're really not that different and that we're really not that weird. And so to answer your question, no, I don't think you have to, I mean, in certain areas of healing, like you would want a therapist that understands maybe the nature of sexual abuse. And, mm -hmm. and it is good. It was comforting to me to find other adults that have been through this. Yeah. Because even it is especially shameful to be manipulated or duped in any way as an adult. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing you're not alone in that was huge. But as, in general, as far as support goes, I think that we all can relate to each other more than we realize. Does that yeah. answer the question? Yeah, it does. It does. Yes, yes. I was asking that question because, you know, sometimes I have this fear that you might be talking with someone who has not experienced such, um, for example, sexual abuse, and the person will be like, oh, you shouldn't have gone to the therapist. Um, you should have stayed out of, you know, that place, for example, or and why you write senses. Or I think sometimes I just have the fear that people underestimate what we've gone through or just, you know, wash off what we've gone through. And I've, it's ought more than, you know, being open, to, or being open to them or being vulnerable to them. But I will say, I will add, because I was cringing when you were saying that, because early on when your emotions are really raw mm. and it was very devastating for me to have people say the wrong thing back to me. Mm. I needed people in the beginning who totally got it. Yeah. Because otherwise, I was just continually hurt and damaged even more by those people, like you're saying, that are like, well, I had an attorney, a female attorney say, well, why did you go back? Yeah. I, had, I was like, I was just devastated, you know, and I had friends that said, well, oh, I, I don't remember, but just lots of things that were minimizing and hurtful. So I would mm -hmm. say when you're in that fragile state, that's not when I'm talking about taking more risk. Mm -hmm. You need to be a little more careful in those early days. Now, I mean, I'm like eight years out yeah. and I've had enough healing under my belt that I can take a little bit more risk with people. That doesn't mean that I still don't get my feelings hurt. I still, I'll tell you what is also hurtful is when you've gone something through something really tragic mm -hmm. and, you know, you get triggered and say it's 10 years later and something really triggers you and you tell someone about it and they say, oh, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely what you should not say true. to another person. And, you know, but, and I used to beat myself up for that then. Then I'd say, well, yeah, it was 10 years ago. Why are you still on that? And, and a therapist, and it's in my book because that was such a, a big part of my healing was thinking every time I got triggered, I wasn't doing it right. I didn't forgive enough or forgive right. And I'm, mm. I'm still holding a grudge and I'm really back to square one, but that isn't true at all. It's just a trigger and it passes. That's true. And I had a therapist, a wise therapist tell me, um, you know, you can't, like our brains mm. trigger us. It's just a self-protection mechanism that it does. You can't control it. And you does not mean you're backsliding in your recovery. So I guess I'm amending my answer to say that you do have to use some discernment. And, and I guess there's a balance. Mm. You don't want to isolate and do life alone because you could get hurt. Yeah. You don't want to be too open and take too much risk because you will be hurt. True. And true. it's just finding that line and, and not being extreme one way or the other. 
Yeah. Because there's yeah. going to be people out there that will absolutely never get it. And they will always say the worst things, <laughs> even if they think they're saying the right things. Yeah. Like I even had somebody try tell me that, well, so maybe my abuser helped me in some ways. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, if I benefited while he was manipulating me, then that was God's blessing, not his, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Some people, they are coming from the, the they're having the best intentions in that, yeah. <laughs> but it just comes out so, totally wrong. It's totally the wrong thing, but yeah. you just, you just feel with them that, like, yeah, okay, you have, you have good intentions. I'll, I'll let it pass. You just <laughs> smile and you think, I will never <laughs> talk to them. They are off my list. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And you know, I love the fact that earlier you're talking about forgiveness, like you learned to, to forgive again. And I was reading a devotion um, some weeks ago that talked about, you know, some, um, there's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. <laughs> like you could forgive somebody, but 10 years down the line, you could still remember. And you said um, earlier, you, you get that trigger again. So how, how, do you, how do you deal with when you get triggers, even 10 years, eight years down the line? You know, now I used to, you know, want to reach out to someone and process it, like process the emotions I was feeling. But I got a lot of comments, like I mentioned, that hurt my feelings or people that really wanted me to be over it by now. Because any kind of tragic or, you know, emotionally intense issue, most people don't know how to deal with it. And so they kind of want you to be moved on already. Yeah. You know, they're willing to give you a few weeks or months, but then, um, and so, I mean, if it's really bad, I I might make an appointment with my therapist, but Mm. I've learned now that when I realized that they didn't have any effect on my actual healing and my recovery journey, Mm. that they were just triggers like random, um, they stopped affecting me as much. Because, and maybe I stopped giving them as much power over me, um, you know, by realizing that it's just something natural that the brain does. I guess to be patient with yourself and to go easy on yourself and to know that the trigger is just a trigger. It has nothing to do with you backsliding. You're not, you know, you're still right where you were and, and it'll pass. Does that make any sense? Yes, it's usually passed. Like the process is slow and it's not linear. And then you just take it step by step and move forward. Yeah, because early on, I had found this group that of women that just offer support and advocacy for for adult therapists and clergy abuse Mm -hmm. victims. And I would email them because I'm very impatient. And I would email them and say, I'm not, why am I not feeling better? It's been six months. And they would be like, yeah, it's been six months, you know, and I'd say, well, it's been a year and I still, and and, and it just takes as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. And, and ever, some people will move faster, some will move slower, but you can't really rush through your emotions. They, true. you have to give them that attention and you won't heal if you skip over a step. That's true. Um, so it's, even though it's frustrating and I didn't want to be sad for two years or however long it was, I was angry that I was still sad that this person that hurt me was still hurting me. Mm-hmm. But you know what, it, it, it is what it is, you know, value our emotions when they come some can just come and go. Some we take to God. Some we may need to process with someone else. But it's just sort of a it's sort of a graph like this healing. Mm. And we say you're able, not able to forgive the abusers. Um, are you able to like let go of them? Uh, whenever they, their thoughts come to your mind, you don't have that you know hunger burning in you anymore. Yeah, and for my abuser, I was able to forgive him. Like I said, easier than I was able to forgive, mm. say, my friend at church. And 
um, when any kind of anger or resentment or old memories come up surrounding her, I just say over and over, you know, I forgive her, I forgive her, I forgive her. So it isn't a a closed book kind of thing where I already forgave her last year or whatever. Um, if it comes up, I just say, I forgive again. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes when I get, fl- I get flooded a lot with, I don't know if Satan is bombarding me or if it's just my mind is active, but sometimes I just say, Jesus, 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 because I'm like, no, I'm not entertaining these old, and it could be anything, you know, any yes. kind of old unhappy memory. I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> but yes. you kind of have to stay at it because, you know, our thoughts are always creeping in mm. and Satan's also always trying to bring us down and, and just life in general. So, yes. so the forgiveness is an ongoing thing mm. that I do whenever it creeps back up. I would love you to elaborate a little bit on, on God's part in your story. Like, how did he help you now to become, you know, a successful author, a married mother of three, you know, um, and even more things that you're doing right now? Like, um, how would you say God has been, you know, holding your hands throughout this journey up to this moment that you are in your point of healing? Yeah, well, even when I was in the abuse, well, I didn't know it was abuse, but towards the end, when I started thinking I'm in trouble, mm-hmm. I knew God was calling out for me and trying to help me. He would show me the word adultery, but I was like, but I'm not committing adultery. I don't, I don't understand. But he was giving me warnings, you know, of, you're, you know, you're in danger. And he would send it through. I'd read it in the Bible or a book, or I'd see it or somebody, a friend would say it. So he just kept at it, mm-hmm. um, which is why I say, you know, God, wasn't turning his back on me during that time. And then when I, and I know it was him who gave me the strength to tell, because I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want anyone, my spouse, the community. I didn't want anyone to know. Mm. I just wanted to leave and pretend it didn't happen and never tell a soul. Mm. Um, God gave me the strength to go to my pastor. And one of the last things I heard God say to me, because what I was wrestling with was guilt Well, after all this man did, he was trying to help me and he was trying to love me for Jesus, but he just got tripped up and maybe that was my fault. Um, And I feel so sorry for him. And he said it would kill him if I left. And will he kill himself if I leave or turn him in? Or Mm. he's this sad, broken person. And um, I heard God say, Amy, he is not your problem. Mm. And I was like, you're right. And it gave me the confidence to then go tell. And then I had a vacation that was pre-planned a week after I I reported this to my pastor and his wife, a week after I was able to to not go to therapy anymore. Mm -hmm. And God really showed up for me in really cool ways. And I won't spoil it, but he just loves on me. And a lot of it's through nature and um, shows up for me in the biggest ways and sends somebody, a stranger into my life. And it's just nothing short of miraculous, but Mm -hmm. he just, he does that for me because he knew the journey that I had, because my plan was to come home from that vacation and go on with my life. Mm-hmm. There would be no book. There would be no telling my husband. There would be yeah. no podcast. There would be no nothing because I was embarrassed and ashamed and I didn't want anyone to know. Yeah. And I certainly didn't want to lose my marriage and my family when I didn't even do anything, but, but no one's going to believe that, you know, right. Cause I'm an adult. So, you know, and then as I'm leaving Canada and I feel like I'm leaving that experience with God behind and I, I'm telling God, I don't, I can't do what I think you're asking me to do. I don't want to tell anyone. And, um, you know, he showed me a heart, like 
in the trees. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you're coming with me. You know, like I thought you just lived in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) He's everywhere. Yeah. You live in the U S (laughs) and so then he, I came home and he just was showering me. Like I said, in my way was these little hearts and things and just really holding me up knowing you can, you just have to take this step and you just have to get through this day. And he gave me the courage to, I mean, I would have shared with my husband anyway, because I'm an honest person, but he helped me with that. He gave me the strength to go to the medical board and, you know, he just, he loved on me in ways. Like when I went to the medical board, I felt like they're just going to mock me and they don't really care and they're going to blow me off. But there was one of the um, investigators on the board was so kind and so loving and he felt like a big brother And I'd never even had a brother in my life before. And it was just like, I cannot believe this stranger cares about me so much that he is enraged and can't wait to confront the doctor. It felt like he was going to beat up the bully for me. And, you know, those were just little ways that God kept loving on me, you know. Um, And, you know, even in the medical board meeting that I was listening to, listening to the doctors discuss what they're going to do with the doctor's license, you know, one of the doctors was outraged. I mean, outraged. And I thought, why do they even care? I mean, it's just me. Like, it's just me. Like, and it was just God's way of, well, and I want to add this too. There were no other victims that came forward. And I'm like, where are all the other victims? Like, why do I have to be all by myself? Cause I know that there's others. And I know now that God wanted me to be the only one because he wanted me to know that me alone was worth fighting for. And that if I was the only victim, it kind of makes me cry thinking about it that that these strangers are in they're furious about what was done to you they don't even know who you are but they care that much and it was so amazingly healing and it was one of the ways i felt like god used other people to pour into me mm-hmm. and because after i had that experience another victim came forward and i feel like god let me be alone for that long so that i could really get it through my thick skull that he, you know, he leaves the sheep to rescue the one. Mm. And he wanted me to see that I was that one because I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that anybody, especially somebody that didn't know me would care that much. Mm. And so anyway, and then, you know, again, uh, I found an attorney for my civil suit. He, I felt like God loved on me through him because he was again, like, you know, like a, like a father or a big brother, like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight these people for you because this is not okay. How you were treated. And, you know, he, he got paid only if I got paid. And so, I mean, I know there's part about the money, but he also cared. He's, he was passionate about helping victims of this kind of abuse. So he, he just used, used the whole process to show me how he felt about me. And so yeah. what? Ooh, it was a journey. Yes. And, uh, I don't, the civil suit was three years and it was brutal, but you know, it was healing to stick up for myself mm, yes. for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so great. I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, God, you know, saw you through this journey and he's even seen you, you through even right now and helping you. You want to become a much better person, a much more healed person. And um, I'm so grateful that you also obeyed, you know, the calling of God, like to, <laughs> to share this story with the world and to impact other people's life also out there. It's so awesome and beautiful. I have to tell you a funny thing is, I wrote the book originally just 
it wasn't a book. I just wrote my story out because I wanted to know what happened because I couldn't forgive myself until I understood it because that's just how my brain works. I was like, I need to understand exactly why you stayed before I can forgive you. So I wrote it out and then, and then it kind of became an idea of maybe I should write a book. Mm -hmm. And then I decided I am absolutely not writing a book. I mean, it's too hard. Mm -hmm. It's too embarrassing. People are going to make fun of me. There's going to be haters, which there have been, you know, people that know the abuser and things. And I was at church at a different church. And afterwards, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, I know this is, I know you don't know me and this is kind of weird, but the Holy Spirit just wanted me to tell you that God sees what you're doing. And he wants you to know that he's going to give you what you need line by line. Mm. And I just got chills. And I said, Oh my gosh, I just told God I'm not writing the book. (laughs) And, And then I was like, it looks like we're writing the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, whenever I got discouraged about that, he gave me those kind of encouragements or he'd send me a friend who was an editor that helped me in the early days. You know, just whenever I got stuck, he sent me a, like a little burst of encouragement. Yeah. And, you know, for years I said, okay, God, I'll write the book, but I don't know if I'm going to publish it, you know? And so <laughs> <laughs> he just, he gave me what I needed to get to each step and each step. So. Yeah. God's love is so real. Like he just, he provides you with the right people at the right time just to, see you through yes yes so uh, i would love to ask you know um, for people out there or for someone out there who is going through this kind of situation right now and is about to give up on life um because of these bad experiences and abuses um how would you advise such a person right now yeah and you know you just reminded me when this first happened and i got out one of the things i did in those early days was i called a suicide hotline Mm. um i didn't know how i could survive it I just, the pain was too great. My husband was questioning me and which was my biggest fear. And it felt like the world was judging me. And so I see no shame in that, um, in reaching out because sometimes we're just in survival mode and we're just trying to keep our head above water. Um, and sometimes, you know, the healing doesn't come very quickly. And so we need that. So that support is crucial. And then the other thing I would say is, Telling can be very, you know, whatever situation you're in, domestic violence, any kind of abuse, when you you risk by telling because somebody can blow you off or minimize it or, you know, so I like to tell people to tell and keep telling, or I've heard people say, tell until, tell until you're believed, tell until you're heard, because I wasn't able to escape on my own. I just wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us, especially adults, think, I'm going to figure this out on my own because I'm not telling anybody. This is too embarrassing. But I needed help. And the first person I told didn't believe me. And then I retreated and I stayed longer in the abusive situation. So Mm. keep telling and tell until. um, And just support, support, support. I, I have as much support that I've been able to find on my website. And then, um, and I know there's other things out there that I don't know about or seek out a therapist, but somebody you you just got to have that even one person, even, you know, they even have hotlines now that you can just text mm. because yes. sometimes people don't want to talk to a stranger when they're in that much pain, True. you know, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to see that they even have that, but you just need somebody to give you that lifeline until, you know, you can stay afloat. Mm. So I guess those are the things that I would say, and then you worry about the forgiveness and then you can worry about, you know, maybe finding a, a bigger group, but just reach, you've got to have somebody. Yes, yes. 
And I'm don't gonna... be discouraged when the first one fails or the second one fails. Yes, I didn't mean to interrupt you, sorry. You know, that, no, it's fine. I just wanted to add that you, your book is also a very wonderful, you know, material to go through this process too. Like when everyone can pick up and um, pray upon and read through your story, one feels like, yes, I can relate to this story in one way or the other. And one feels like he, he or she is not alone, basically. Yeah. Like, yes. And that's the other thing I forgot that I did. I read every book I could find on Amazon that had to do with any kind of adult abuse mm. Um and I just hung on, I just, I, I just felt those were like lifelines for me in those early days. You know, those weren't people I could call and talk to, but I read their book and I felt like, see, they get it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's not just me. And and the, so, yeah. So thank you. And so I, that's what I want my book to be now is, is a lifeline. And then also, you know, it, to teach people that don't relate to this issue mm-hmm. so that they'll be more compassionate the yes. next time they hear a story or somebody comes to them, they can not get it. And still say things that are supportive. Yes, that's very that's very important. <laughs> that's very important. Yeah. yeah. So, what's the best way to you know connect and work with you? Like, I, I'm so blessed with everything you've you know um, we, we've talked about today already. But I know there are a lot of questions that we could still talk about, and a lot of questions that the listeners out there might still want to ask or know about. So, what's the best way to connect with you and work with you? Yeah, my website, which I think you said you put in the notes, right? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. On my website, you can email me. I will respond to anybody who reaches out to me. Mm-hmm. You can buy my paperback there, or you can buy it on Amazon, the eBooks on Amazon. Yes. Um, I have as many resources on there as I have been able to find um, for for therapist abuse. You'll find a group on there called Tell T E L L, and that was one of the groups that was kind of a lifeline for me in those early days. Mm-hmm. Um, Snap is geared. It's, it's survivor's network for those abused by priests, but they're branching out to include any kind of clergy or religious person. And they're even trying to widen their circle to, you know, any kind of, um, any kind of abuse, like coach or teacher or therapist. And Mm -hmm. they have um, virtual support groups that you can join. So anyway, it's just my website is the best way. And then, you know, reading the book, I hope, you know, will make victims feel less alone and people that are, you know, have been hurt by God that they can realize that you can still heal that relationship and be hurt by somebody in the church. You don't have to lose both. Yes. Yes. God is, God is who he is. He's awesome. He's wonderful. And the church could alter in one way or the other, but it doesn't change that. It doesn't change the fact that God is love and God, you know, is always there to help you. Thank you so much, Amy, for everything you've taught me and, Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Wow. You made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.